Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bootleg Football Podcast. We got a big episode today. Lots of deals signed and not signed, surprisingly enough, with the franchise deadline come and gone. And we're also going to talk about the uh, huge elephant in the room uh, with camp only days away, really. Uh, and that's how COVID is going to affect the start or potentially delay the start of the NFL and college seasons. Massive episode today, but as usual... First things first, before we dive in, my wonderful co-host EJ Snyder is here with me. EJ, how you doing tonight? I'm good. Summer has finally hit the Northwest. We've had three days in a row with no clouds, about 72 degrees, light breeze, no bugs, no humidity. This is the time us Pacific Northwesterners live for. So uh, I'm digging that. I'm glad that we've got some fresh stuff to talk about on the football horizon and uh, while I do not have a drink again tonight, uh, I do have a whiskey quote for you because I was telling a friend of mine <laughs> that I was taking a break from drinking and my friend Carol, shout out to Carol, said, when you want whiskey, water just tastes like sadness. Oh, oh, yeah, that hits me right in the core. Yeah, it should. Cause it's, it hit it's me just, in the core. And after I got done laughing... <laughs> Um, I realized how true it was, so shout out to Carol. Maybe we'll put that on a bootleg t-shirt, but um, despite my lack of whiskey, uh, I'm excited because we've got some, well, we got a lot of big names to talk about, and we've got us, yeah, the elephant in the room. We've got the sort of big news that's looming. We'll get to that, um, but let's kick it off with some big money before we uh, before we get to all that. Yeah, so uh, Chris Jones became the second Chiefs player to sign a massive contract in the past week. I don't know where the hell they're finding this money, but they're making it work. Uh, he got four years, $85 million, up to $60 million total in guarantees. Just a huge, huge deal. Um, it's $21.25 million per year if you don't want to do the math in your head, which puts him behind only Aaron Donald among interior defensive line, but still ahead of DeForest Buckner, who got four years, $84 million. Uh, so he just barely beat up Buckner. Surprisingly, did not reset the defensive tackle market. I think if he was an actual free agent, he probably could have, but I think he probably took a little bit less just because the Chiefs are a little bit up against it in the cap, and he wants to stay with a winning program where he can win a lot of you know, at least potentially win a lot of Super Bowl rings, you know, keep uh, keep the momentum of his career going because he's he's on trajectory to have a pretty special career accolades wise. And, and you know, twenty one point two five million is still a hell of a lot of money. So I think he kind of put the team before his own self-interest there. Um, and, he, and he stuck around to a winning program where he can win a lot of a lot of games over the next four years. Overall, um, I, I will say not the greatest run defender. Like he's really good in terms of stopping zone runs, really good penetration, getting in the backfield. And that is the best way to stop the zone run game is penetration in terms of like two gapping, you know, stack shed, getting the hole, you know, really kind of digging in his heels against power. I've highlighted before on my, on my film room show, like he's not the best stack and shed run defender, not the best, um, eye awareness I'll say in terms of being able to find the ball and get the ball but in terms of just pure penetration ability against zone runs and obviously as a pass rusher he's elite of the elite 
Would you say that $21.25 million is fair since he's not as complete a player as maybe some other defensive tackles and he's just so good at what he does do well? Or would you have let him go to the go to the market? That's an interesting call. And I thought immediately when I heard that he did get signed uh, of your film room stuff, talking about his deficiencies in run defense. Um, we started talking about this way back when actually at the draft, it was, it was up as to whether Chris Jones was, uh, you know, going to be part of a trade package. Were they going to resign him? Were they going to let him go? Uh, and we had our good friend, um, Craig on who works for Arrowhead pride and, uh, Craig had his thoughts about it. He wasn't exactly sure. He wasn't sure just like most people that the chiefs were going to be able to find the money. Uh, because there's a lot of money. They got money tied up in Frank Clark. Um, Everybody knew that the Mahomes deal was looming, and there's just only so many buckets, but the salary cap is a bit of a myth, and they found a way to make it work. Jones for 21.25 per year. The real number there is the guaranteed money, $60 to sign, right? He gets, if he signs, which he did, he gets $60 So he will get 60 of the 85 guaranteed. That's that's big dollars. Um, yeah. So I think the Chiefs are, I think the Chiefs understand the role that he plays in their defense and that pressure, that penetration that he is so good at, that he is one of the very best in the NFL at. I think they really want that. That is the way to disrupt not just the zone run game you were talking about, but the quick passing game as well interior penetration by big guys who are quick and jones is all of that is a way to really get people off their game when you're not necessarily going to collect a ton of sacks because of the quick passing game so they think he's worth it um i think it's a little bit rich uh on the deal but again guys like this don't grow on trees Um, Jim Nagy, Mm -hmm. the senior bowl director came out and said, this is why teams bet on guys with big time physical skills who aren't finished products yet. This is why NFL teams go, because if you win, you get a Chris Jones. Yep. Right. It's worth rolling the dice because you get a disruptor who is rare. And he is definitely that he is a rare disruptive force. Now, you have to build the balance of the team. You can't run Mahomes out on offense and Chris Jones and Frank Clark out on defense and expect to win. you got to surround them with talent as well. Now, you know, Brett Veach has decided that he can do that. Uh, He certainly has the areas he pays and the areas he doesn't pay, just like other GMs. We'll see how it bounces out over time. I think it's a lot of money to tie up, but at the same time, they did tie it up in a guy that is not what I would call street replaceable in any way. You're not just going to wander out and find some bargain bin Chris Jones. Like Chris Jones, he has a rare skill set. He knew it. He pushed him and he got paid. So good for him. Hopefully very good for the Chiefs. Hopefully they're right. And he continues to produce at that level and and really is that cog in their defense. Um, We'll see. Uh, It's a lot of money to tie up on the D-line for sure. Also keep in mind the rest of their defensive tackle core. Uh, who I think do kind of make up for his deficiencies a little bit. Derek Noddy, Mike Pinnell, Colin Saunders. I think they're all better two-gappers than he is. They're all making basically no money. Like, they're all dirt cheap. So it kind of balances out. Yeah, that's the other side of the coin, right, is that skill set that you're talking about, that run-stopping, two-gapping, plugger, defensive tackle. Those are guys you get in the fourth and fifth round. We saw Mm -hmm. This year we saw a bunch of those guys go um, undrafted free agent. Right. We we highlighted a bunch of them in our UDFA episode. Um, yeah. Miami took one, uh, you know, to go with oh, the guy Benito Jones. Yeah. yeah. Benito. Right. A big, solid dudes that can control two gaps and make sure that people don't run at them. That is a much more replaceable skill set, as evidenced by the mm-hmm. fact that people are picking them literally off the street, undrafted free agents. Um, you're not going to get a big, strong flashy penetrator like chris jones on the interior very often or or ever um so that's what the chiefs paid for and hopefully he stays healthy because he's a fun player to watch when he's healthy and he is doing what he does best getting in the backfield and wrecking stuff so um 
I hope it pans out for everybody. I always hope it pans out for everybody, but it is a big gamble. It's a lot of money tied up uh, in one spot. One, well, I don't want to say he's replaceable, but his position group overall is replaceable, so it's kind of the exact opposite of Chris Jones, and that's Derrick Henry at running back. You know, we always talk about interior penetrators don't grow on trees. Well, running backs, if there's one thing in the NFL that does grow on trees, it's running back. And so I was, I was kind of surprised to see the Titans give him $12 million a year. And we've talked about it on the show before, and it's a philosophy that, uh, you know, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks over on Move the Sticks have, have talked about multiple times too, of it's fine to draft a running back high, just don't pay him a second contract. And the Titans drafted Derrick Henry, I think of the top 50 picks, he, minimum he was a second round pick, and then they paid him. So it kind of goes against that philosophy. I don't, as unique as Derrick Henry is, I don't necessarily think he is unique enough for me to justify giving him a big second contract. I know it's still only 75% of what Christian McCaffrey's making, but does Derrick Henry provide 75% of the value of Christian McCaffrey? I'm not 100% sure he does. Again, he's the heart and soul of that system last year, but I don't necessarily think he's the reason why that system worked. Um, I think you can throw a Darrington Evans in there and still be productive. You know, I think you can throw really a lot of the rookie running backs this year if, if the Titans drafted them and still be productive. And I would almost rather use that $12 million on another position group. And again, that's nothing against Derrick Henry. He's a great running back. But guys like Christian McCaffrey, I'm willing to pay because I think they are very unique. You know, Saquon Barkley, very unique. Alvin Kamara, unique. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of those guys in, you the, keep in the league. You using that word. <laughs> I haven't I haven't gone on my rant about unique. I probably should. What is what is your rant? I'm curious. My rant uh, and damn the English teacher that told me this and they're absolutely right. Unique is a superlative. You either are unique or you're not. Yes. It's like being dead. And <laughs> uh, we really we we as a people always Throw a word in before unique. Mostly unique, pretty unique. You can't be mostly unique or pretty unique. You're either unique or you're not. Well, is Derrick Henry... Is he rare? Is is Derrick Henry unique? I think he's great. I think he's great too. And and again, this is nothing. This is a semantic rant against unique, not against Derrick Henry. Um, Derrick Henry is really big, (laughs) really fast, and a skilled running back. Um, he is a very skilled runner. He is not as effective as a guy like Christian McCaffrey, since you brought him up in the passing game. Yes. The balance to Derrick Henry's game is not there. Now he didn't get paid what CMC got paid. Um, but it is 25 and a half million guaranteed. So basically half of that money, the contract terms, if you're looking at it's four years, 50 million, he gets just over half of that guaranteed. So he will see that money. Um, $12.5 million a year is a lot to pay a running back who does not contribute in the passing game. Period. Stop. End of story. You know, Is Derrick Henry a really good runner, and was he a huge part of that offense? Yes. The thing that I resonate to that you said right at the end is, I don't know that, you know, uh, paraphrasing, he was the stir that, he was the straw that stirred the drink, Right. Um, the reason they were great is balance, right? Tannehill did what he needed to do, and Derrick Henry did what he needed to do, and Mike Vrabel's built that squad to be a power-running squad. The offensive line is very talented and built for a purpose, right, to open big holes for runners uh, that Derrick Henry especially can exploit, right? Because he's huge, he's powerful, but the thing that makes Henry approach (laughs) being unique is the speed at that size. You know who else is 250 pounds, jumps 41 inches, runs 4.53, and as of, in a very similar system, mind you, and as of this year is making 48 times less money than Derrick Henry? <laughs> 48 times less. A.J. Dillon. I know. Money back for I, the Packers. Yeah. Same physical profile. Productive in college, 48 times cheaper. He's making $350,000 a year. 
Yeah. Times that by 48, that's 12 million. Like, again, Derrick Henry, good running back, not unique. Like, I. I, I'm yeah, not paying that he, much. And how much? And how much of his? You know, again, if we're talking about superlatives, like I think Henry's better, and I thought Henry was better coming out than I thought AJ Dillon was. You know, by a round or two, <laughs> is that? But is worth, he 48 times better? <laughs> right. Is that 50 <laughs> times better money wise? And my answer, if I'm a GM, is nah. No. Nah. Right. So if I get AJ Dillon and he comes in and he produces. Let's just say seventy percent has a good season. I would that would still be a very good season if you look at Derrick Henry's stats from last year. He had a monster year. Uh, but if you know AJ Dillon comes in and gets seventy percent of that production for one fiftieth of the price, that's how you build your team, or at least yeah. that's how I build my team. Let me let me be very specific that I'm sitting here doing a podcast and they're getting paid to win football games. So it's a little bit different, but it is a gamble on a position that we've seen over and over again can be had for much lower cost. It's it's the only position again unless it is a crazy multifaceted highly versatile talent that can be used on all four downs. Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, maybe Joe Mixon, and that's a hard maybe. Like there's <laughs> there's like four or five of them in the league at most. And that's a that's a maybe. It's still a debate on if I would pay Alvin Kamara. Like it's still a debate on if I would pay Saquon again. It depends on if he can stay healthy. Like Christian McCaffrey, I agree with that deal because there's one of Christian McCaffrey. But yeah. Derrick Henry, there's there's not one of him. There, yeah. He's great running back, but there's not one of him. There's not only one guy that can do what Derrick Henry can do. Uh, and so I'm not paying him 12 million a year. It's economics. That's it, what it is. Love the player. But it's economics in a salary cap era where I've got to decide, hey, am I paying a good guard or am I paying a, a great running back? I'm going to take the good guard every time because the good guard impacts my offense's success a lot more than a great running back does. It just it just that's how it is. And it sucks for running backs because it means that they're the most disposable disposable position, despite being probably one of the most prone to be injured. But that's that's unfortunate. That's the nature of the beast. And I. I disagree with the signing for that reason. Again, it has nothing to do with Derrick Henry as a player. It's just economics. And I know we said we were going to talk about the draft, but um, <laughs> next year's loaded. There's oh yeah, uh, you know, two backs that didn't come out this year that could have gone in the top two rounds, most likely, if they had. Um, they're most likely going to come out next year, and the rest of the class looks pretty good at running back as well. Next year's free agent class in the NFL for running backs is is large and very skilled. Um, so good on good on Derrick Henry for getting his money uh, before all that hits, but uh, woe be you if you're running back looking for money next year because there's going to be a ton of options in the draft. There's a ton of options in free agency. Your leverage is basically nil. You've got none. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's... I don't know. I'm ne- I'm never gonna understand it. Um, so let's let's just talk about Dak because I. Uh, <laughs> speaking of things you don't understand. Speaking of things I don't understand. Okay, there's two schools of thought here, and it's you pay what what the market rate is for a quarterback, no matter what, because you don't want to dive back in and try to get a new one, which I totally understand. There's another school of thought which I think I subscribe to a little bit more, which is if you're paying elite money to a quarterback who's not elite, a quarterback who I think requires more of a supporting cast to have the same results, um, and you're taking away the resources that you need to build that supporting cast long-term, it hurts your team more than helps it. And so part of, I mean, I understand it, but I don't understand it. In that I, I understand why Dallas has been hesitant to um, give Dak uh, the deal that he wants. And again, it seems to be more about years than money. And I think the reason why they've been hesitant to give is because they kind of wanted a reason to have this deal not get done. Because I think they really wanted to see another year. 
I think if they really wanted Dak that bad, they would have caved on the four years versus five, and he would be signed. I think this is, I don't want to say an excuse, but it's a quote-unquote acceptable reason of why they let this deadline lapse, why they didn't sign him long-term. I think they want to see one more year to be absolutely sure that they want to pay him, I guess seemingly now, over $35 million a year, because that is going to have consequences for the rest of the roster, believe me. And I, I agree with that decision. But at the same time, I also don't understand the messaging behind it because they keep saying over and over again, he's the quarterback of the future, he's the quarterback of the future, we're committed to Dak, there's no other option, and then they let it go. So it's like you're, they're saying one thing and doing another. Like, if you're not sure, stop blowing smoke up everybody's ass. Like, just say, like, <laughs> hey, we have we huh. have this view I'm sorry. I'm a I'm a Bears fan. I'm just chuckling because that's that is Ryan Pace's mo. Uh, you know, Mitchell Trubisky is our quarterback, right? Mitchell yeah. Trubisky is the starter. Well, you're going to go out and trade a pick and spend big money on Nick Foles or or a lot bigger money than um, his contemporaries got, right? And keep saying, no, no, Mitch is our guy. And and Bears fans are, you know, we're a little bit jaded to that now. We're like, oh, uh, yeah, whatever. You know, Foles is going to start. Um, but I, so I'm used to that, uh, that blow and smoke. And I'm with you. It'd be great if uh, GMs or organizations didn't do it. Uh, but uh, they do. And that's part of the game. But I'm going to take what you said about Dak in terms of wanting to see one more year and flip it around more to the organization than to Dak. I think people know what Dak Prescott is as a player. And I don't think that they really want to assess so much what he can do, but it seems to go, I don't know, not unreported because it's Dallas after all. There's lots of reporting that goes around the Cowboys, but look, they've got a brand new coaching staff, right? They have an entirely new regime. They pretty much, for the most part, cleaned house, right? Mike McCarthy's Mm -hmm. there now, right? That's not the same system that Jason Garrett ran, which is probably there's probably lots of Cowboys fans in, and that's a good thing. Um, well, they they did keep their OC. They kept I, their OC, but you know how that works when he brings yeah. when when a new head coach comes in, he is not going to be hands off, right? Especially yeah. Mike McCarthy, who's an offensively based head coach, right? He's not going to come in and go, oh yeah, do all the same stuff. Like, I won't touch it at all. You just do your thing, and I'll, I'll check in once a week and make sure you got a game plan. Like, that's not happening, right? It's going to be a change. There are going to be changes. And he's going to be trying to do what hopefully all good coaches do, which is maximize their player strengths. And he's watched all of Dak's tape, probably every snap that he's thrown for the past, oh, couple of years, I would imagine. And he thinks he's got a really good idea. Now, that may work, and it may not, but it's a big change. Um, and Dak may ascend. We may see greater heights out of him, or he may regress. And if I'm the Cowboys, I'm hedging my bets to see which one happens, not based on Dak's talent, but just based on overall fit, on scheme, on how McCarthy does, on how that relationship goes, whether or not they have success, right? I'm not going to book it this year for another five years and then have it go south in year one after a major change. Yeah, I just, I think if they really, you know, Jerry's a deal maker. If they really wanted the deal to get done, four years versus five years, they would have caved. They, they would have made it happen. If they were that committed of saying, mm-hmm. like, look, Dak's no, I, guy. No, I agree with you 100%. If he's your and, guy and you've got him in hand, you're going to pay him. And so what I don't understand is like, okay, if you're not sure, stop telling us you're sure. <laughs> you're, you're clearly <laughs> not. You know, just yeah. don't say anything. Don't say anything. They didn't have negotiations for months. Yeah. If they really wanted the deal to happen, they would have made it happen. So just stop pretending like you want, like, just just let it go. Like, let him play on this year, and then you can go back to the table. And guess what? If he plays great again, and, and the team has more success, then it's worth the extra money. Sure. It is. You know, in the end, it's five extra million you're going to have to pay a year. Who cares? At least then you're sure. You know, and at least then you can say you're sure and you can actually do the damn deal. I don't know. I just the the, the double messaging coming out, you know, uh. it's 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 just it's been so infuriating for me to watch. And this is, you know, totally different than the arguments against Dak, because like statistically speaking, I did an episode on it. You know, how much is he worth? 
if you're he's a good quarterback. Like I'm not denying that. He's a good quarterback. Yeah. He's not an elite quarterback. But good quarterbacks that get paid elite money don't usually win the Super Bowl and they actually go to the playoffs less than teams that are starting rookie contracts. Like it, it, over the last 10 years since 2011 when the new CBA hit, like the number of teams with a quarterback with a top 10 cap hit that go to the playoffs, on average, there's less of them than teams that are starting dirt cheap rookies or just dirt cheap veterans, period. So Yeah, that's been the model. I mean, it's certainly it's, been the model that you can, as the window is, get somebody, whether it's from outside or, or from the draft, uh, you know, from free agency or from the draft, and use those really that three-year mm-hmm. window to get as, you know, to load up as hard as you can and make a run because, yeah, when you have to pay the quarterback, uh, and look, quarterbacks are expensive. We all know it. Um, and when you have to pay the quarterback, your chances of building a team that complete uh, go way down. So that's been the sort of, it seems like a lot of teams in the NFL have been on that path. Seattle was on that path with Russell Wilson before they paid him. Um, you know, LA was trying to do that, uh, you know, before they dropped big money on golf, which seems we could talk about that for a while, but, um, that's the thing, right? Get the rookie starter, use the window when they're cost controlled. Um, Chicago set up to do the same thing. Didn't work out for them. Um, you know, Houston's going to be in the same boat here pretty soon, right? We're going to see Deshaun Watson get paid. Um, and they're going to have a different, a different financial set of straits to, to navigate. So, um, yeah, it's since, interesting. Since 2011, since, since 2011, you know who the only two teams to win a Super Bowl with a quarterback with a top 10 cap hit were? No. It's the, the 2011 Giants with Eli, who's an enigma in his own right and defies all statistics over the course of his career. Like It's Eli. It's a good quarterback that gets hot at the right time. Yeah. And it's Eli. Like, it, it happens. And it was against the Patriots. Like, you know, it's it's Eli. Like, those two Giants teams were statistical outliers in almost every single way. Like, that that was the team that was last in rushing but still won the Super Bowl. Like, it's crazy. Like, anyway. Uh, and then the other one was the Broncos with the corpse of Peyton Manning, who had an absolutely <laughs> loaded roster around him with Vaughn Miller still on his rookie deal. Chris Harris still on his rookie deal. Akeem yeah. Tlaib in his prime. You know, C.J. Anderson, who was making basically no money. Like that, that was a loaded roster with dirt cheap talent at other positions around quarterback because they, they hit on a lot of draft picks. And similar thing happened to Dallas. They hit on a lot of draft picks that were dirt cheap when, because keep in mind, you know, when, um, when Dak was drafted, they were up against the cap when he was drafted because they had the Romo deal in the books, they had mm-hmm. the, the Dez deal in the books. Like they had no money. But they hit on a lot of draft picks. They hit on Dak. They hit on Zeke. They hit on Byron Jones. They hit on Jalen. They hit on the Tank Lawrence. <laughs> the offensive line. Who At the time, I think they'd only paid two of them. And then they ended up having to pay a couple more deals. Um, they hit on some DBs in the mid-rounds. Jordan Lewis. Um, God, who's the other corner? Chidobi uh, Ch- uh, Like they, they didn't draft a lot of outright busts. And so everybody was dirt cheap. It let them kind of get out from under their really bad contracts and still be a successful team. They had a few really good years, even with Jason Garrett as a head coach. And now all of their draft picks have come due to get paid. They're all getting paid. They have no money. A couple years from now, they're projected to have bottom three in projected cap space for like three years in a row. I don't know what the hell they're going to do. And they still haven't paid their quarterback. So I, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't, <laughs> and people are saying, well, the, the, the salary cap doesn't exist, like really, which, yeah, that's true. But <laughs> at the same time, when you're paying like nine guys over $10 million, soon to be 10, like that salary cap being fungible or not, that's still a hell of a lot of money. And you still got to field 53 guys on this roster. The math yep, it's gonna get it's gonna get real up. thin, and they're gonna get real interested in the UDFA market because uh, you know all that. And uh, your biggest point, they still haven't paid their quarterback, right? If it looks like that, and you have paid your quarterback, that's expected. Um, if you do not have stability past this year at the quarterback position, uh, and you know maybe they think they're gonna roll with 
Andy Dalton. Who knows? Like, like I the Chiefs are going to have to go through the same thing because they have also no money. Yeah, and a lot of guys yep. make a lot of money. You know what the difference is? They got Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid, so they can still yeah, throw and, tra- and they can still throw trash cans out there and be fine. I can't say the yeah. same thing about Dallas. Um, no, because very few people are Mahomes, if anyone, and Dak is certainly not. He's a very talented guy, but he does need to be. He does need to have some talent around him, and they still haven't signed him. That's the thing is those projected cap numbers you mentioned are without a quarterback deal on the books. So yeah. what are you going to do at the game's most important position right now? Um, it's an open question mark, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out in Dallas because they're going to have to make some tough choices, um, imaginary salary cap or not. Uh, they're going to be right up against it because quarterbacks aren't cheap. Um, unless they get lucky again. And boy, organizations that count on that, getting a third or fourth round quarterback who plays like Russell or Dak, um, the numbers say that is a terrible bet, right? It happens very, very, very rarely. And if you're thinking, hey, that's my magic key to success is I'll just get another one of these guys, Dallas being lucky enough to have done it once, uh, probably not. Um, just based on numbers. So let's talk about some of the other guys that didn't get uh, paid, like Dak, uh, who didn't get paid. And uh, I'll just read through the list, and then we'll, we'll pick out some highlights. Um, we're not going to go into depth on all of them, but um, Cincinnati, A.J. Green, Denver, Justin Simmons, Jacksonville, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, New England, Joe Tunney, uh, Washington, Brandon Scherf, uh, L.A. Chargers, Hunter Henry, Pittsburgh, Bud Dupree, New York Giants, Leonard Williams. Ugh. Yikes. Don't get me started on Gettleman. Uh, Minnesota's Anthony Harris' safety. Uh, Baltimore's Matthew Judon. And Tampa Bay, Shaq Barrett. Um, so who out of that list stands out? Uh, we'll cover some of these guys, but uh, anybody really ring your bell as they either they should have or uh, really glad they didn't. So the, the Shaq Barrett thing is a little bit confusing to me because he's a really, really good pass rusher. He was a good pass rusher in Denver and he was still a great pass rusher in Tampa, except getting a larger share of snaps. So he was able to put up 19 and a half sacks because he was finally a full-time starter that could really put his talents to use. I I did a film room episode on him, how he got nine sacks in the first four weeks. um, And just how, even though he's not the most physically gifted guy, how creative he is as a rusher, how technically sound he is really, really good player. And I, on some level, I kind of get it because they were last in cap space this year. They only have $4.8 million. But when you look at next year, they have, uh, let's see, what is it? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. They're top 10 in available cap space next year with $63 million. They're top, what is it, 8 in 2022. Actually, no, it's top 5 in 2022 with $163 million available. They have a lot of contracts coming off the books. Probably also Tom Brady by that point, too. So, like, they they have a lot of room to backload a deal for clearly a great pass rusher, which, again, in the vein of Chris Jones, those don't grow on trees. Even if he's not the most complete player, it's hard to find a great edge rusher, and they they found one. They got one last year, and and I I don't understand their, uh, their reasoning for not extending him because now... He's going to hit the market next year and inevitably going to get paid by somebody just because he's he's that damn good. And, and edge rusher is just a hard position to find. And, and not to mention, I think they should have signed him before the Miles Garrett deal because I think you could have got him for like 18 a year before. And now that Miles Garrett got 25, he's going to want at least 20, especially if he has another good year this year. That price is only going to go up. So I, I don't know. That was a little bit of a mismanagement to me because they had the money available. Um, they could easily have backloaded that contract and he just plays a premium position. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get that decision to not sign him long-term. Yeah. One we're both happier about in the not category is Leonard Williams, which, uh, I alluded to that as I read through the list, but, uh, neither of us are Dave Gettleman fans. Uh, we were having a text exchange about that this week. Uh, surprise, surprise. And I said, Dave Gettleman has blown more chances than most people get. And you said, yeah, with two organizations. Uh, And that's true. And again, speaking of mismanagement, the way he acquired Leonard Williams and then set up the Giants to have to pay him, 
Um, not great. Um, not surprising uh, after Leonard Williams' play or lack thereof that the Giants didn't uh, pick it up and pay him. And as I look through the rest of the list, uh, Justin Simmons, I'm really actually pretty surprised that Denver didn't pick up the ticket there. Again, uh, lots of your arguments for Shaq Barrett apply for Justin Simmons, although it's a different position. And maybe that's it. It's positional value. It's safety. But Justin Simmons, very heady safety, really liked him coming out of Boston College, has played extremely well, solidified that. Well, not just solidified, played it at an extremely high level in Denver. Um, definitely in the top 10 safeties in the league in terms of production. And um, maybe they just don't want to tie up money in the defensive backfield. But again, as a player who has impact and has kind of done everything you want, fits your system, um, you know, has been very dependable. I, I don't know why you don't. And, and you know, it's the same kind the of thing. It's a, it's the same kind of thing too. Um, because, I mentioned the Bucks having the 10th most available cap space next year. The Broncos are 11th. They got 55 yeah. million next year. And then they they got the sixth most the year after that, right behind the Buccaneers as well, again, with 162 million available. So yep. they have the money. I, I, I don't And the cap get... number for a safety is a lot lower than the cap number yeah. for an edge rusher. So yeah, it's, it's 15, again, when you have a... 16 million at most. Yeah, you have a quality guy there. I'm not sure why you wouldn't pay him. Um, just the reasoning there, not as easy as, um, somebody like AJ Green, who's aging and Cincinnati's looking to reload with their current roster. AJ Green, again, very good player. Are you going to pay him, you know, massive amounts of dollars for a long term at this point in his career? Probably not. Um, Yannick has very noted struggles with Jacksonville's, uh, leadership ownership, uh, wants out very, very badly, has been extremely vocal about that. I can see why um, they wouldn't sign him long-term, but they are going to sort of hold the asset and try and um, trade him for sure. There's been suitors uh, even this week. Um, again, no deal. Uh, basically, what's been reported at least is that um, – Jacksonville hasn't felt that the return on the investment is worth it, that it was a balanced deal, right? They were getting a good player maybe from another team in a draft pick, but not a great player. And look, Yannick's been a great player. So um, interesting situation to watch. He could still be moved, but I understand why they didn't pay him the money. Um, Joe Tony, I thought they'd pay him the money, um, and they didn't. That's a little odd to me, but it's, it's very Patriots. hard to... I know it's very hard to argue with Belichick and when he either pays or doesn't because, man, his hit rate on that is pretty much the best in the NFL uh, in terms of letting guys go, you know, uh, maybe a year too early, but never a year too late. And that's the way you want to be biased. Uh, and he's so, so good at it. So if, you know, he thinks that Joe Tunney can be replaced for cheap and, you know, we talked about guards, that sweet spot of third, fourth, fifth round picks, look, a third, fourth, fifth round pick, um, is probably going to be able to give you, especially in the Patriot system, uh, maybe 70 or 80% of Joe Tunney. And again, probably one twentieth of the money that you would end up paying him on a big extension. So I, I kind of get it, but I still thought they'd pay him. Anthony Harris, a player that played really, really well, safety in Minnesota, but they've got a ton of money tied up in their other safety, and I understand not wanting to tie up that much money in a non-quote-unquote premium position, but Anthony Harris has done everything and more that Minnesota could have asked of him, um, you know, just kind of fits in as unfortunately he got there second <laughs> in yeah. terms of the safeties and he's not going to get money from Minnesota. He's going to get money from somebody. He'll play on the franchise tag this year, but when he comes up, he's, he's going to be arguably the preeminent uh, free agent, one of the preeminent free agent safeties available. So he'll get his bag. I, I don't think they're going to sign him because by 2022, they're projected to have the third lowest cap. They only got 63 million projected to be on the books by then, yep. and they got uh, Harrison Smith coming up as a free agent again that year. They got Mike Hughes coming up. They got Brian O'Neill, who's been a great right tackle for them. They're going to have to pay him too, um, and that's just three guys alone. And you talked about the, you know, they might at that point uh, be having to think about Cousins if they want to keep him 
longer yeah. term. And I he, think his he deal expires. Bag. His, his deal expires. I think the next year in 2023. So like they're gonna have to like they they got they don't have the money. Yeah. yeah, they don't have the yeah. money for it. Yeah, so. nothing to, again. Nothing to do with the player. He's been fantastic. Um, I, I'll be happy if he leaves the division. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love hate him that much. Uh, but um, yeah, just an unfortunate situation for him in Minnesota that he's just not going to get paid because of again structure. Um, Baltimore's Matthew Judon, big name in terms of the trade. Even before the draft, is he going to get traded? Are they going to sign him? Are they going to re-sign him? Are they going to shop him? Um, and we were talking a little bit about this before the show that uh, Baltimore pass rushers, uh, in terms of value, if we want to talk about value as a player in a system, I think he has more value staying in Baltimore, but he has way more monetary value if he leaves. Yes. Right. 100%. Somebody else is going to pay him a lot more because Baltimore, again, you know, cranks these guys out. And typically when they leave, they get big dollars and they do not enjoy as much professional success as they had when they were in Baltimore as a member of that defense. And I, I tend to think Matthew Gionon probably lines up along those lines. Um, Again, good player, great contributions is going to get paid more elsewhere. And Baltimore's just happy to let him play out one more year. Uh, they'd like to get something for him in return, but they're not going to shop him out for pennies. So, um, you know, if that if it comes to that, they'll just keep him and play him. The the Colts are going to give him an absolute metric ton of money next year because the Colts have 113 million available, uh, even with the Buckner deal on the books. Yeah, I was going to say that's a lot of you put Judon and Buckner on the defense, you know, quote yeah. unquote defensive line, and whew. Yeah, that'd it's be gonna a be either them or the Seahawks because the Seahawks got a ton of money available too. So I I don't know. I I can understand why why they didn't pay him, but sure. uh, if, if if Garrett got twenty five, he's gonna get twenty, and I can understand Baltimore thinking ahead. Hey, we we're gonna have to pay Humphrey. We're gonna have to pay Lamar. Somebody's got to take the bullet. It might as well be a position that historically we've been able to find mid-round guys and crank them out. Like he, he's 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 the guy that got tagged in Duck Duck Goose, to to say the least. But um, yeah. also keep in mind, COVID is going to be impacting the salary cap too, and so a lot of teams are kind of like, eh, maybe we shouldn't commit right now because we don't know what's going to happen with the salary cap. Some some people have projected it might take a forty million dollar dip. So, uh, again, I don't really know exactly what's going to happen with it. Everybody's speculating, but the one consensus is the cap will be affected by COVID. A lot of things are going to be affected by COVID, so we might as well just kind of round out the show. I was going to say, talk well, about then let's final. speculate. Yeah. yeah um, let's, let, let's, let's jump on the bus of speculators at this point. Yeah, let's, let's start with college because I think college is the one that I think you and I are most in agreement with is not going to happen. Uh, there's a multitude of reasons it it, it kind of seems like we've gotten this slow trickle of, okay, these guys are not practicing because they keep testing positive. Okay, we're not going to have camp. Um, you know, some schools are only going to be doing online. Some schools aren't. And, and now we're seeing conferences do only conference schedule. And some teams are waiting until later in the month to decide if they're going to do only conference schedule. Notre Dame is probably freaking out at this point because they don't know what the hell they're going to do. Um, if they're only going to be able to play ACC teams, if they're not going to be able to play, uh, you know, Stanford or, or USC, if since the Pac-12 is only doing conference football, they're trying to figure that out. They're going to lose millions no matter what. And I think all of this confusion without any sort of centralized decision maker like in the NFL is going to hurt their ability to have a season. Not to mention the fact that they can't do a bubble like the NBA they, or baseball was proposing and they have almost zero way to isolate the players like the NFL theoretically does because they're student athletes they, they got to go to class at least some of them are going to have to go to class if they're at a campus where they are going to do in-person classes like say Notre Dame or even if they're doing mostly online all it takes is one backup kicker going to a civil engineering lab where somebody's asymptomatic and, and the whole team gets shut down and then what do you do? Like it, it is so much harder to guarantee safety in a college environment compared to the pro environment. And there's also just a hell of a lot more people in college football. The rosters are bigger. Uh, there's more schools. There's more programs. 
I mean, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of kids and coaches and not to be super morbid here, but if the death rate holds, if all of these teams play, statistically, somebody is going to die. Somebody will die. And I, I don't know if it'll be a coach. Uh, I don't know if it'll be a player. Somebody's going to die. There's so many people. And if so many people get infected, it's going to kill somebody. And I I don't. I, I hope that they are ready to accept that. Of if we press forward and have a season, we're killing somebody statistically. Yeah. There's there's I way hope too they're many. Not people. ready to accept that, quite frankly, because we. I I, I hope tweeted they don't out play. the slow. Yeah, I tweeted out the slow drip thing. Um, it's become really evident, especially in the last two months. Two months ago, I think the outlook was a little bit different, as we've watched sort of how the whole country has reacted to the pandemic. Uh, it's become really, really clear that uh, the discipline required on multiple fronts to confront this, control it. Uh, if, if you want to say something like beat it, that's probably a little bit um, over over ambitious. But in order to have something like a college football season, everybody needs to get on board and say, all right, we're all here to protect each other. We're going to do everything necessary, which is masks and testing. And we're going to, we're going to get this thing completely as controlled as we can get it. And then we would be lucky enough to have something like a college football season. Look, I'm going to miss it as much as anybody. Um, But even a couple of months ago, people starting to have, you know, basically like spring football and immediately after being open for just a couple of days, every program that did it started to report COVID cases and had to shut it down. And it was so predictable. And schools were still doing it. I saw one two weeks ago. Oh, we opened up our football program and ah, we had to shut it down because a bunch of guys got COVID. I'm like, it doesn't take uh, a scientist. It doesn't take an epidemiologist. Um to know that if you put people in close proximity and you work them out really hard and they have to be near each other like they do in football, it's the nature of the sport. Think about every contact photo of college football or pro football that you've ever seen, right? It's two very large guys face-to-face who have been running and sweating for at least the last half an hour right in each other's mugs. Think about offensive and defensive line play, you know, 300-pound guys slamming into each other, pushing, shoving, breathing. It's just a blender for germs. There's no way to socially distance football. It's just not structurally possible. I mean, baseball had the best shot. You mentioned baseball. Like, baseball is literally socially distant. The closest is the batter to the catcher, right? And maybe a first baseman standing next to somebody on first base. But other than that, you got good space and you're outdoors, right? You got a really good shot. Football is the opposite. There is no way to guarantee safety physically for football players. And I do say football players, not college football players, because we're going to get to that. But anybody that's even done spring drills has had to shut it down because of COVID cases. So this conference only idea isn't any better oh, we're only going to play other schools who are in our conference. There's still other schools, right? And we talked about this before the show as well. State guidelines are going to really determine whether or not that's even possible to occur. Yeah, We have you know multiple schools in multiple states, and they all have different rules. And you know, let's just say we're talking about the Pac-12 and... Arizona, which is one of the states that opened first and had the hugest resurgence of cases, if they go hardcore to try and, you know, save their people and save their economy and say, forget it, no mass gatherings, you either have to move the game to outside the state, but are they going to allow people to travel and do that and come back? Like, there's just so many logistical hurdles. Um, I really don't think we're going to see a college football season or we're going to see about three weeks of one. And I say that because although the rosters are much larger, you know, we were seeing up to about 10%. Alabama was 10%. uh, Clemson was a little bit more than 10% of players involved in even their spring practices testing positive for COVID. And if you want to talk about 10% of your squad every week, in a non-drill environment, like a full contact environment, it seems like it might even be higher. But let's just go with the 10% figure. 10% of your roster gets infected with COVID every week. 
Um, regardless of the long-term health implications that you talked about when we opened this segment, you got to put those guys in quarantine for two weeks, right? They're not available. So your roster depreciates by 10% every week and doesn't replenish for at least two weeks if people are well enough to play and they want to play again. That's the other thing, right? There's going to be desire and people opting out. And by week four or five, you don't have enough players. You just don't have enough players. People are like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll separate the first string and the second string quarterback. That'll do it. And I'm like, no, that won't do it. If you lose four-fifths of your offensive line in the first three weeks, what are you going to do? Like physically, how are you going to play? And that's the least of anybody's concerns. But when you start thinking about it, just extrapolating numbers from spring drills to actual contact games, it's it's not possible. It's not going to happen. And just from a from a safety standpoint, I I get in the college D one athlete demographic, in, incredibly in shape young people, statistically very likely, that, very unlikely that any of them would would die to COVID. Uh, but a they can have long term health effects that are not death particularly to their lungs, and it could ruin careers. Like, we have seen data that shows even if you don't die from COVID, you can have long-term damage. Secondly, even though players, somebody in that demographic statistic are less susceptible, a lot of coaches are older, out-of-shape people. Like, the whole, you know, 65-year-old college coach with a beer gut, there's a lot of those around the country, and those are the type of people that are very, very susceptible. And if they're hanging out with a bunch of players that are getting COVID and they're in close proximity with them in meeting rooms and everything like that, like what's it worth? What, what, what is the college season worth? Because if one of these coaches dies and their family has to bury them, is that worth it? That is a question that football fans need to ask themselves. What is more important? That everybody is safe and stays alive for next year? Not just players, but coaches too. Even though they're older, they deserve to they deserve to live too. What is worth it? To me, I'm okay with not having a college season if that means that everybody's alive for the next college season. And it's a question that everybody's going to have to ask themselves individually. Um, and, and to me, I've already answered it for me. But everybody else is going to have to ask it for themselves. And also keep in mind, these players aren't actually making money to put themselves at risk, unlike NFL players, which I think is a different conversation because they are making money. And I think they are in a position in life where they can make that choice freely, where college players probably can't. Um, And I I do want to kind of talk about the NFL by phrasing it with J.J. Watt's tweet, um, expressing frustrations about a lack of communication between players in the league in terms of setting things up for procedures and everything. Um, I'll read this tweet out for you. You said, in the interest of having everyone on the same page in terms of what we know and don't know at this time, here are a few things I've learned being on the four NFLPA calls in the last two weeks with hundreds of other players. Keep in mind that our rookies are scheduled to report in 48 hours. He's referring to the Texans, uh, who they're actually reporting on Monday. Uh, They were given clearance today to do that. So he said, here's what we know and what we don't know. We want to play. We want to be as safe as possible. We have not received a single valid IDER plan, which is infections, disease, emergency response from any team or the league. We don't know if there are any preseason games or not. We don't know if there would be a daily testing, semi-daily testing, or anything of the sort. We don't know how a potential positive COVID test would affect contracts, roster spots, etc. Because, and just to provide a little clarification on that, they don't know if that means it's going to be designated as a football injury or non-football injury, which, again, the teams can treat that differently in terms of uh, contracts. So if it's designated as non-football injury, that means teams wouldn't have to pay them, which is a huge thing. That's a huge uh, con- contention among players in the league right now. Uh, he continues, nothing has been agreed upon regarding what training camp will actually look like and how the ramp-up, quote-unquote, period will work. And finally, we want to play. So again, this is a different situation than college because these guys are actually paid for their services and they're also grown adults that can make their own decisions. Um, But he also highlights the fact that there's not really been a plan put in place despite camp starting next week for a lot of teams and they still don't know what the hell it's going to look like. 
NFL's, I'm in the same boat with college. I don't think it's going to happen on time. I don't see how it's possible to happen on time if they don't even have a plan. Yeah, and I, I'll get back to, you know, the money's one thing, and, and grown adults, I, I would say that most, most college, a lot of college players are grown adults too. Many of them have families already. Um, they're making their own decisions. That, that stuff, regardless, you get back to the physical, right? Um, certainly there's more at stake for NFL players. They are being paid. Uh, it is their job. It's a, you can look at it as a return to work situation if you want to. Um, the issue brought up about whether it's going to be considered a football injury or non-football injury is, uh, you know, extremely contentious and a, and a major point of this. But the bottom line is the physical nature of the game that I talked about in college doesn't change, right? You have big, strong guys exercising at a very high rate, breathing very heavily. Uh, look, in the trenches, you are sharing sweat and snot and spit and blood and everything else. It is an extremely contact-heavy environment. And there is no way with a virus that travels the way COVID does to say, oh, we'll make sure that we cut down on that or that you won't get it. The bottom line is, if somebody out there has it, or has gotten it, or is carrying it and is asymptomatic, doesn't matter. They're going to spread it to other players. And, you know, they're going to spread it to coaches and trainers and whoever's in the bubble, or their families, uh, or the umps, or whoever. I mean, it's it's a very infectious disease. It's a pandemic for a reason. And the physical nature of the game is not going to change. And we've seen some silly stuff out there. Hey, what about, you know, helmets that encompass your entire head? Um, <laughs> anybody yeah, that's ever played that. football realizes that that's a terrible idea. You're going to cook somebody's brain. Um, you know, venting is the thing they're always looking for more of, not sealing it up. Uh, and there isn't a way to do that. There isn't a way to seal it up, right? And without that forget we don't even have base logistics i mean based on watt's tweet um we don't even know what the testing plan is going to be we've already heard major league baseball players complaining that what was promised for them in the testing plan has not been delivered in ter in terms of time and turnaround they were talking about a 48 hour turnaround in major league baseball there's a tweet from one of the front offices seven days after the first round of testing saying we still haven't seen it that means five more days that somebody that tests positive is spreading that disease to, again, the coach, the support staff, the opposing players. Um, if the NFL doesn't have this figured out and rookies are supposed to report in a matter of days, it's a lot of logistics to work out team-wide. Again, state regulations about what's allowed and what's not. There's just a ton of moving parts and not a ton of time. So in terms of starting the season on time, I am not hopeful. And in terms of completing the season, again, a couple of months ago, I said, look, the NFL has near unlimited resources. They're incredibly good at handling large, complex logistical things like moving entire games and series of games because of hurricanes, uh, changing venues in natural disasters. They, they have a ton of experience doing things like this. The fact that there aren't plans in place already give me serious pause that we're going to see an NFL season that looks anything like a normal NFL season. And I, I let's just say we do have a season. Uh, let's go with the optimistic scenario that we have a season. There's no way that this year doesn't have an asterisk on it because all it takes is a franchise quarterback testing positive a week before the Super Bowl. Guess what? He can't play. You know, cheat. let's say the Chiefs go back to back. They make it to the Super Bowl again. Pat Mahomes test positive. You're throwing in Matt Moore in the Super Bowl. Like, uh, how do you how do you bet on games this year? Or at least long term, <laughs> like like week to week, you can bet on games. But how how are how is anybody how is anybody it's placing no a bet? different? <laughs> I because I'm I terrible mean, at betting on games. I'll, I'll bet week to week, but I'm not betting season long this no. year. Hell no. You you no, can't the ripple it's, effect through everything through betting through. Every enterprise, fantasy, you know, fantasy is a multi-billion dollar a year industry, right? And folks that are, I know that are fantasy professionals, right? Because there are those, uh, lots of them now. And they're like, I'm going through my, you know, seventh keeper draft and it just feels like 
it's completely nihilistic, right? It just feels like I'm putting one foot in front of the other because these guys aren't going to play anyways, right? Yeah. They're saying that and have been saying that for the past couple of weeks, not to mention what we're hearing from a lot of media colleagues, right, who are – there is an overarching sense of dread, right? If there's not going to be an NFL season, if that's going to occur, do you think they're going to keep those journalists employed for really 14 months, right? until they would be doing this again. Uh, you know, there is a lot, a lot of very real concern and ripples throughout multiple industries that the NFL touches because the NFL is, look, it's the United States' darling, right? It is the preeminent sports league. It is the biggest money contributor um, in terms of professional sports, probably the largest gambling driver, I would imagine. Um, it's just, it has far-reaching impact and if it doesn't occur those impacts are going to be felt far and wide for a long time yeah uh this is a this is a massive dangerous shit show and it is not the league's fault i I don't know how you prepare for this Uh, there's really nothing they could do to adequately prepare for it because this has never happened before it'll probably never happen again so this is not me blaming the league because i I don't know what they could have done. Like, yeah, we could say, oh, well, they should have a plan. You try to plan for this, okay? Like, I, I don't I don't care who you are. There's no there's no way you can, with, with how much information changes from week-to-week basis, there's no way you can really prepare. So I don't necessarily blame them. But at the same time, there is no plan. And it's a shit show. And it's not going to go well. Um, will we actually have a season? Probably, in some form. Will it be a season that I think uh, we look back on and think, oh yeah, that totally counted. Probably not. Like this is the asterisk season to me. There's no way it's not going to be. It's still going to be football. It's still going to be fun to watch. But in the back of your mind, you're always going to be thinking like, ah, this one doesn't really count. (laughs) You know, Uh, at least for me, that's how I'm going to look at it. Because I think there's going to be so many players out on a week to week basis let alone in the playoffs, like I, it's going to be the asterisk season. Again, it's it's going to be what I think gets this country through uh, the end of this pandemic, hopefully the end of this pandemic, because I think we all just need sports and we need something to watch. But uh, by no means do I expect this to be a, a season as normal. It's just, it's not possible. Yeah, and honestly, my biggest hope is that everybody makes decisions that helps keep them safe. Look, um yeah. That's the biggest thing, and you mentioned it with college, and it's the same for the pros, right? Am I willing to give up the season? Look, uh, the NFL is a big part of my life. Um, I obviously really enjoy watching it, talk about it, um, analyze it, overanalyze it. (laughs) But would I be willing to toss it so that all those players could continue living? And the answer is yeah. And coaches, too. Yeah, I absolutely would. Yeah, Yeah. and that's everybody. Coaches, teams, support staff. Um, all the people that NFL players see, there's a huge like halo of support systems around each individual player. There's, you know, there's nutritionists and chefs and, uh, you know, masseuses and uh, chiropractors. And, you know, there's all these people that surround this enterprise again to keep them running and healthy and um, everything. And everybody's at risk. Right. And you can't put everybody in the bubble if you do do a bubble. So I want everybody to be safe. I don't want anybody to have to bury their kid or dad or son or daughter for that matter. Um, It just, it doesn't seem worth it to me when we know it's incredibly dangerous to shove them into this environment. Look, the NFL is dangerous anyways, and people will make that argument. I don't know how you with a straight face argue that this isn't different than that. This is very different. It's a global pandemic. Uh, so we don't know what's going to go on. I know that's not a very hopeful outlook. It certainly doesn't pump us up when we could all use some good news. And, you know, maybe something happens, uh, you know, quote unquote, and then a miracle occurs and and we get some relief from this and there are safer ways to conduct the games. That would be my, my biggest hope. But again, uh, not being a betting man, I am. I am not. I wouldn't put folding money on that one. Yeah, it's it's a hope for the best, expect the worst scenario through and through. Like that's that's what it is. Yep. And we will hope for the best because we love football. Um, 
I, I mean, football is my job. It, I depend on it. I really hope it happens. Uh, I, I, but at the same time, I want it to happen safely. So we're hoping for the best, kind of expecting the worst. But either way, we'll uh, we'll keep we'll we'll keep we'll doing be here. Shows. We can we'll do be this. Here. We can, we do, can this. do this from the safety of our own yeah. homes and have yeah. for some number of months now. So we got some good practice, but uh, we'll, we'll be here bringing you guys content uh, either way. But uh, until then, um, if you've got suggestions for stuff you'd like to see us do over the summer, we've got some interviews in mind. We definitely have some good content lined up, but we're always open to your suggestions. Your support is so encouraging to us. We couldn't do this without you. Really wouldn't want to do this without all of you out there who listen to the podcast, watch it on YouTube, interact with us on Twitter. Um, so keep that up. If you've got ideas, we've had some folks uh, toss out ideas of uh, people they'd love to see interviewed. Um, uh, that lined up pretty well because those are some of the same people that we want to see interviews. But um, yeah, throw it out there. If you've got an idea for content, uh, we'd love to take a look. Um, we, we shoot from the hip on bootleg, so uh, we're more than happy to adjust if we get a great idea from somebody. So feel free to toss that stuff out there. Uh, in the meantime, keep yourselves safe. Keep your family safe. Um, keep listening. We'll keep putting out content. We'll talk to you soon. Later. Later.